I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. This week's guest is a fountain of knowledge about wines. We have a great chat about wine and food and how lovely these two things are together. I'm sure most of you listening agree. A pilot by profession, Ryan Sullivan has always had a love of wines. So much so, he decided to attend the sommelier program and become part of the Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers. Pilots are known for their attention to detail and love of travel and adventure, a quality I'm sure equally shared with sommeliers. I could have spoken to Ryan for hours about wine and food. I hope you'll enjoy our chat. A little disclaimer, Ryan and I recollect and each tell stories of our early wine experiences. We are in no way advocating for underage drinking. Some would say wine is a sacred experience and experienced differently all over the world in different cultures. In European cultures and more European-leaning households, in the 80s and 90s, it was not uncommon for young teens to enjoy a small glass of parents and family while enjoying dinner. Of course, now the perspective is a little different and we know more about alcohol, so please always enjoy responsibly and legally. And take our early wine memories with a grain of salt and a lighthearted sip. Cheers. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good, Billy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So before we start, uh, we used to work together back when. Um, I haven't been there in a few years, but did we ever fly together? I can't remember. I'm not too sure, but I'm sure there's a flight schedule somewhere we could check to... uh... Well, I vaguely remember, like I remember you in passing, obviously, um, but I don't know if we were ever on a layover and enjoyed some wine together, but I'm excited to talk about wine tonight together. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. So we'll jump right in. How do you define your cultural background? Um, So my personal um, family, I'm kind of split between two. Uh, I have an Irish background and a Finnish background from Finland. So half Irish, half Finnish but I call myself proudly Canadian. Nice. Well, and Finland and Irish are two sort of like very, when I think of those places, I think of alcohol enjoyed with meals for sure. Yeah. I, I always joke uh, ironically with with friends and, and family and such that I said, I have Irish whiskey on one side, Finnish vodka on the other. And somehow I ended up uh, loving Italian wine more than anything else right in the middle. <laughs> well, I think that that's a big group of people that love Italian wine for sure. Yeah. Um, what is your first memory of food? Uh, that is kind of a tough question. First memory of food, you know, probably like someone's birthday party or like a big family gathering, you know, like a Thanksgiving or Christmas and just kind of seeing aunts and uncles and, you know, someone putting a big turkey out or something like that and having some mashed potatoes and gravy and and kind of like those big family dinners is kind of what I remember as the earliest food memory. For sure. I mean, I feel like those memories definitely stand out and, um, being around, you know, family and a whole bunch of people and being a kid and running around. (laughs) Totally, totally. Do you remember your first glass of wine? (laughs) Oh, my first glass of wine. I can tell you about a very memorable glass of wine when I was young. I don't know if it was my first. Okay. Um, Is is that okay? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was maybe uh, like 14 or 15 years old. And uh, I'll never forget it because it was a glass of Tignanello, which is a famous Italian wine made by the Antonori family. They've been making wine for generations and it's considered a super Tuscan. You know, it's over a hundred dollars a bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Sangiovese, it's classic Italian. And prior to tasting that bottle, I've only kind of had, you know, your your kind of Thursday night with the average uh, glass of wine, nothing fancy, nothing probably over 15 or $20. And I'll never forget trying this glass of wine for the first time saying, wow, I did not know wine could taste like this. And it really opened up my eyes to wine. And ever since then, I just couldn't stop reading it and obviously uh, sipping it now and then as well. Amazing. Well, that's so young to start on your sort of wine journey. That's fantastic. Yeah, obviously it was just, uh, you know, one glass because I was, of course, 
course, underage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not sure I should be saying this on the podcast, but, you know, big family <laughs> holiday event. Yeah. And, and one of the uncles said, uh, Ryan, I know you're kind of interested in wine a little bit. Do you want to try a little bit of this? And uh, it was a great experience. Well, and I should say for the listeners that are in uh, the States, because we have a lot of listeners in the States are drinking age here is 19, but in Quebec, it's 18. And it's so common for um, youngsters around family, especially European family to have a glass here and there. Oh, absolutely. I Truth be told, I wish I was raised European. If not, I think I plan to raise my children if I, if I have any in a somewhat European fashion. I think it's important to introduce alcohol in a, in a responsible way. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong, I think, with a with an ounce or two uh, at the dinner table, especially when it's a special family meal. And I think that way, when it when you do reach drinking age, it's not like you suddenly go on a on a wild adventure bender. It's just simply you just continue that natural, appropriate use of alcohol into your kind of average daily life. I think it's a healthy way to live. Totally agree. I think too, it gives you an appreciation for the taste and the ritual of alcohol and the ritual of pouring a drink or making a cocktail, opening a bottle of wine uh, when you have that when you're young and positive associations with it. I think I remember my first, I mean, you know, same as you, sips here and there, maybe an ounce or so. But the first time my mom actually poured me a glass of wine and I, you know, sat with my mom and her girlfriend that were over and we had a cheese plate. I think I was like 12 or 13, but same sort of thing, you know, like an ounce or two in a, in a fancy little tumbler. <laughs> Absolutely. You got you to gotta make, make sure they're sippy cup approved when, when you're a bit <laughs> a teenager. But anyways, <laughs> enough about underage beveraging, perhaps. <laughs> Well, it's appreciation for wine. <laughs> what would you say is now your favorite uh, wine food pairing as an adult? This is the thing about sommeliers. Sommeliers love all types of wine. So I love uh, Portuguese white wine. I love Italian red wine. I like New Zealand, you know, Pinot Noirs and Sauvignon Blancs. I love a lot of Canadian wine from Nova Scotia to BC. But without a doubt, if you said, you know, here's a $200 gift card, Ryan, where are you going to go? What are you going to have? I'm probably going to have a Brunello de Montalcino from Tuscany or a Barolo from Piemonte in the north of Italy and probably some rich, you know, ragu or uh, bistecca alla Fiorentina, which is this big Tuscan steak, some type of Italian wine and Italian food. Oh man, that's just my absolute happy place. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It does, doesn't it? Like, why aren't we doing this in Italy right now? Is my question. Exactly. Listen, that would that was my dream. That's like the dream for the podcast is yeah. you know to to cheers over a beautiful, uh, beautiful table set with beautiful food with some wonderful wine in an ex exotic or foreign place, but. For now, we're here. <laughs> For now, we're here, but let's let's dream For big. I, I, let's do this in Italy one day, Billy. I am down, Ryan. I am down 100%. <laughs> well, speaking of Italy, would you say that that's one of your favorite places to travel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love Europe. I've been around the globe. I've done, you know, the Great Wall of China. I've done uh, Argentina and so other parts of South America and obviously all throughout Europe. I just love um, France and Italy. I think it's a toss-up. Uh, in regards to culture and food and wine, which I, which one I love more. Um, but I always say this, uh, go to Italy and I dare you to find a bad meal. Even if you go to the gas station, this is what I always joke mm -hmm. too. You go to the gas station in Italy and the prosciutto de Parma sandwich at a gas station, I think is better in Italy than anywhere else outside of Italy. So if you can get good food at a gas station, that's my type of country. <laughs> a hundred percent. I totally agree. My husband loves driving. So when our honeymoon, we rented cars in, um, in most cities or we drove to most cities, uh, 
And anytime we stop at a gas station, he was so like a little kid. He was so excited for the sandwiches and the spremuta <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we should point out, obviously, there is much better food in, in Italy and France. Oh, of course. Other than the gas station. <laughs> but it goes to show if that's, their, if that's the benchmark of entry-level edible, I think you can mm-hmm. clearly show how high uh, the, the culinary scene goes. It's really amazing. Well, I mean, even the train station, I remember having the most amazing croissant in a train station in, I think it was, um, was it Florence maybe? And it was just so delicious and flaky and perfect and buttery. And I'm like, you know, some bakeries in Toronto don't even get this, <laughs> don't I, even get this right. I totally agree. And it makes me sad because when I pass through American airports, you know, and I see America runs on Duncan, it, it's almost disappointing because everyone clearly, I think, would prefer um, the amazing pastries of, you know, uh, France and Italy. But it's almost a shame that in North America here, we've just kind of almost accepted that, hey, uh, we have uh, not the greatest food uh, from some places. And it's almost like we've just accepted that. And it's like, I think I find that disappointing. So if anything, I go out of my way to find that local bakery in Toronto, that local pastry maker, that local coffee shop that does that level of quality. Um, It's almost just disappointing, though, that we've we've all kind of accepted it. Right. You pass through an airport. It's very difficult to find anything that's of like high quality because we just come to accept it's it's an airport. It's quick and easy. And that's that's what we've come to accept. Uh, but clearly, you go, you go to uh, Florence, as you said, you'll find some of the best pastries and coffees you can find at the, the train station. And I think in uh, in North America, we sometimes overcompensate for taste with quantity. And I really believe that it's quality over quantity. So I much rather have a little, you know, my tiny little espresso with my tiny little fresh squeezed juice in the morning from a European um, quick stop, you know, coffee shop or uh, airport cafe, as opposed to here, you know, thinking to Pearson, you have like you know, a one liter thing of, you know, condensed sugar packed orange juice and a massive large coffee that tastes watered down and burnt. Yes. Um, so it's, we have these massive serving sizes as opposed to really delicious, tiny little portions. Yeah. And I, and I think we can agree. I mean, the average consumer, I think would probably also say there's great value in this product. If it's regards to wine or to food, it's all about that kind of bang for your buck attitude. Whereas I think it's a little bit different over there in regards to quality is of the utmost importance. And then, of course, I mean, we have to be realistic. We have to pay mortgages and put food on our table and, you know, live our lives in, a, in whatever budget you have. But I definitely think quality is more important over there than it is here. For sure. Well, and speaking to that a little bit, would you say um, you would rather drink, you know, less nights a week and have a more expensive bottle? Or do you have sort of like an every night or every other night, 15 or $20 bottle that you enjoy more often than saving it for one night? That's that's a really great question. When I got into wine, I, I, I'll i be very honest, when I was kind of in my young 20s and such, I was probably having about a bottle a night with a friend or, or a partner or, you know, someone. It wouldn't just be myself dining alone, but, you know, just sharing a bottle of wine, having, and it could be like takeout. So mm-hmm. I definitely find that I used to drink more often and it would be very inexpensive wine, $10, $15, definitely less than 20 um, this was like just your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday sipping wine. But as I've got, you know, sommelier now, I've drank and, and tasted so many, so many wines. As much as I like sipping wine, I I will admit that my taste profile is changing and I just can't do a $15, $10 bottle of wine like I used to. I don't find the same level of appreciation. So without a doubt, I find that I'm actually drinking less now 
but I'm drinking higher quality per bottle. That makes sense for sure. And do you enjoy cocktails as well or do you stick with wines? I do like the odd cocktail, but I'll be honest, like I don't make wine. Sommeliers just simply pour wine. So with co- I love to cook. I'm a decent cook. Something about cocktails. I mean, I can make you a gin and tonic or a rum and coke. I'm very <laughs> basic when it comes to cocktails. I'm, I'm starting only literally, it took a pandemic for me to finally make a drinkable martini I could put my name on. Um, so I, I'm still pretty amateur hour in the cocktail department. I leave that to the mixologists at the, the bars myself. Mm-hmm, that makes sense. You know who has a great Instagram for cocktail making is Stanley Tucci. He got really into it during uh, the pandemic and he was doing you know a regular weekly drink. And it was just so fun watching him, you know, craft a cocktail and just kind of chat to the camera. So if you need some cocktail inspiration, it's it's a fun thing to check out. I must be awful because you are literally not the first person who told me. (laughs) So I'm sure if you had one of my cocktails, you would say, Ryan, follow Stanley Tucci immediately because he's the guy. I'm not kidding. You're not the first person who told me that. So I I need to, I'm going to do it tonight now. That's two people. Do it. You'll be like a rabbit hole though. You'll just be like, okay, I need to watch, you know, all these videos because they're just kind of like just fun and silly. So, and good cocktails. (laughs) I'm suddenly thirsty for a cocktail, ironically. Uh Uh-huh. Well, talking a little bit more about food, because I think food and wine go so beautifully together. Um, Growing up, who was the cook in your house? I would say my parents split it pretty equally. So my parents divorced when I was quite young and they both remarried. So I kind of have two families that I grew up with, Um, you know, mother and father on, on both sides. I'd say they both cooked uh, quite evenly, which is, I guess you could say, kind of surprising. Like they both really did, you know, 50-50 on that. But, um, you know, maybe Saturday night, you know, the special meal, I think my dad would kind of pick out the special red meat uh, from the butcher and kind of maybe jazz it up a little bit. But I'd say it's pretty, pretty equal. That's amazing. And did you have a fondness for cooking when you were young? Because you said you're a pretty good cook now. Um, Not, no. I I mean, when I was a teenager... (laughs) I'm sure I burned pasta, you know, uh, <laughs> while, while boiling it in water. Uh, I was terrible. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know much about wine. I didn't know much about food. I wouldn't say we were like a great cooking family, but, you know, we, we tried to cook chicken and different dishes and such as best we could. But I would say like we were kind of just the average family. Like there was no, you know, we didn't have a set of chef knives and we didn't go to the St. Lawrence Market. Like we weren't that family. We were just an average um, family that kind of cooked, you, you know, your average fare. Um, but definitely, I think as I got older and once I moved out, went to college, that's when I really fell in love with food and wine because I had to, you know, I had to feed myself now. I'm, I'm away at college. I was in a different city. You know, you can only eat so much pizza and Chinese takeout until eventually you say, I'm either going to die of pizza overload or I'm going to have to learn how to cook <laughs> something. And so I kind of, that that's where I really started like my love affair with food and wine. And you went to school for aviation? Yeah, I went to school for aviation flight management uh, in Thunder Bay. Amazing. And then did you um, recently go to, to school to become a sommelier or have you taken courses? So I went to school in 2018 uh, to become a certified sommelier through CAPS, which is the Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers at George Brown College. So this was before the pandemic. And um, I kind of got into it because I had a great job flying for Porter Airlines as a captain. I became established. I I still kind of had my love affair with wine and food. But, you know, I had a good schedule. I was only working about half the month, um, but I felt something was missing. I wanted a new challenge in my life. I wanted something a little more than just flying uh, for the next kind of 30 plus years. I wanted something else, a little side business, a little side hustle. And I literally remember looking, should we go into 
maybe personal finance, maybe real estate. Some people are in real estate on the side. And while swirling a glass of wine, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if I could make a few dollars doing something with wine? I took wines one, and then I took wines two. But I remember saying, over my dead body, am I taking the sommelier program? Because you have to be nuts to take that program. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. a year later, here I was in the program, clearly nuts, but uh, graduated with honors. (laughs) It was one of the best experiences of my life. That's amazing. George Brown is so fantastic for, you know, really pursuing passions, life's passions. Oh, yeah. Like, like I I can be very frank with you. I cannot wait to take some culinary courses because I'm sure my knife skills are the most amateur hour you've ever seen. And I would love to (laughs) even just like have a chef guide me and be like, no, no, Ryan, this is how you hold the knife. It's like, imagine the next 40 years of me cooking correctly by taking a simple, you know, few week class. I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. So I've taken the knife skills class. It's really good. You're going to have a fascination with knives after. (laughs) Okay. So I have a question for you then. Uh, Knives. Mm -hmm. uh, Do you have a serious set of knives? I have a couple really great knives that I like. I don't know if I have a whole set. I've sort of been like picking and choosing here and there. We had this, you know, a set that I got off of Air Miles points that sort of fill in the the filler knives. Um, But my everyday knife is a beautiful chef's knife that I love. And, you know, it's my baby. It has a wooden handle. So I oil it up every once in a while. I sharpen it pretty much every day when I go to use it because I cook every day with two kids. <laughs> I think that's um, so impressive. Yeah. So I, and I, it is pretty impressive. Like, I mean, went back when we had company over, I was, I'd made a roast one night for my father-in-law and I started, you know, sharpening my knife, which I'm, I have to say I'm pretty good at now. I can do it pretty quickly without even really, you know, well, carrying on a conversation. And it sounds really impressive in the kitchen. <laughs> and my father-in-law was just shocked. And he goes, did you like, have you been practicing that? I'm like, well, I practice every day because I do it every day. <laughs> Billy, I, and it's, when it I was like a, teen, nice. a teenager, the fact that we'd be talking about knives, I would have thought this is the most boring conversation of all time. And now, <laughs> and now in mid thirties, I'm like, I could talk with you about knives and cooking. Like, let's go girl. Let's have this conversation for the next three hours. I love it. Yes. I mean, it's definitely a kitchen flex too. I mean, like, you know, when you pull out a really impressive, I think cocktail set or like a really impressive bottle of wine, you know, that's like a flex when you have co- uh, company over and, you know, sharpening a big impressive chef's knife that you know is essentially bigger than my forearm uh feels pretty <laughs> feels pretty impressive not gonna lie <laughs> you feel like a powerful woman that day I imagine. yes carving up that roast um so i definitely recommend the knife skills class for sure i have i have to actually get a couple new knives my pairing knife was just a cheapie which was actually recommended by the chef because he goes you know pairing knives you just go through so quickly and they're a little bit trickier to sharpen um so i just have like a cheapy one you know that was part of the set from early early gift um so i do need to get a new pairing knife that i like but it's fun <laughs> i think that's that's great uh, i look forward to taking the course mm-hmm. and then cooking 101 is really fun as well and then there's some amazing sushi classes now and i've heard the italian classes are amazing so i'm excited to eventually take those i'll be honest the whole reason i want to do it is to up my italian food game um but i i also have no problem admitting when it comes to like sushi i i will trust the trusted japanese chef at my local place, I think, before I trust myself. <laughs> uh, but we'll see if my opinion changes of that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking more about, you know, special occasion food, what would you say is your favorite dish to make or to order in or to go out and have uh, when you're celebrating something? I mean, maybe it's because I was like, maybe because I'm half Irish, I'm not too sure. But there's something about, you know, uh, steak and potatoes was always kind of a special thing. You know, Saturday night, I remember growing up, we'd have like a nice steak and a nice baked potato. I mean, I think I've upped my steak and potato game to like, 
like maybe Bisteca alla Fiorentina, which is this big, thick Tuscan T-bone steak with some, you know, different uh, side dishes that are a little more um, Italian themed. Um, but honestly, if I were having you over for dinner tonight, uh, you know, and COVID didn't exist, I would probably whip up my pasta ragu, a nice little meat bolognese sauce on a bed of fresh made pasta. We'd pour some Italian wine and we would just probably get silly as we sipped and ate into the evening. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. You know what I was thinking of actually when I sat down and I was um, thinking about wines and questions for this interview, I thought back to um, this amazing little spot in Venice uh, when I was there many years ago and their whole sort of thing at this little cafe or restaurant or whatever it was, was they didn't sell bottles. They sold wines by essentially the ounce and they recommended and they did pairings with all the different um, tapas, sort of uh, Italian stores tapas. And I thought that that was such a great idea because you really got to experience different flavors with try different wines that maybe you necessarily wouldn't pick up a whole bottle of. And I thought that that was so interesting. Um, is that something that you like to sort of do if you're having like a big meal with someone or with friends is to get a couple different bottles to enjoy different wines throughout the meal? Or will you get one that one wine that sort of complements a whole meal as a whole? My pure philosophy is if someone invites me over for dinner, um, I'm kind of annoying actually, because I say, what are we having? They say we're having chicken. I go, whoa, whoa, what type of chicken? Barbecue chicken, saucy chicken, chicken in a cream sauce pasta. Like, because, you know, chicken can be quite diverse because I mm -hmm. like to, of course, you know, sommelier up my wine pairing because, you know, they invite a psalm over for dinner. They obviously assuming I'm not bringing a, a boxed wine and bringing something good. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I always like to know exactly, you know, what are the sauces? What are the spices? Is it going to be a, a, a jerk chicken crispy blackened or is it going to be in a cream dill sauce with on a bed of, you know, vegetables? So whenever I have friends over, I actually like to just give the menu out and I'll, I'll even tell my friends if you want to try to pick a wine for a dish. So if you want to do, you know, the appetizer wine, I'll pick the pasta wine. So I, I do try to, to get a wine to match each dish and then we'll just kind of go through the dishes and go through the, the wines together. I love that. Yeah. I mean, something the appetizers can be so different than the main course. And I am, I definitely have an, a love for ice wines at dessert. Like I would much rather have a little glass of a delicious ice wine than a big slab of cake. So I like that progression of the meal and the different wines. Yeah. I, I think people don't really think of doing that. I think when, I mean, of course, no one's really entertaining right now, but what, once we do get back entertaining, I would love it if more people kind of put some thought and, and energy into putting a multi-course meal on. And I'm not talking about doing five fancy courses. It can even just be, okay, we're going to sit and do the salad and we'll do a charcuterie first. And you can pair a nice, you know, wine for that and then a, and an app and then a main and a dessert. And you don't need to go to some high end wine tasting dinner to have that same experience. You could even just invite uh, another couple over and say, Hey, why don't, you know, you bring the appetizer and a wine to match and we'll do the main and a wine to match. And right, right there, dinner for four, two couples, you've got a fabulous multi-course, multi-wine evening. And look, some pairings are going to suck. Some are going to be amazing, but it's a fun learning experience for everyone there. And the number one way to learn about wine is without a doubt, start drinking wine. Just start drinking. That's mm -hmm. it. That's a great tip. I like that. I think sometimes people maybe overcomplicate how to learn something, but that's the best way to learn is just to start. Yeah. You want to learn French, uh, go to Paris and, and, and ask for directions and uh, get lost and struggle 
your way to find back home through the challenges uh you know greatness is achieved and you know i've sipped my fair share of horrible wines and horrible wine pairings but i've also had life-changing almost spiritual moments of amazing food and i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it amazing life altering moments of food and wine that i didn't realize could impact my life so greatly so it's like life highs and lows but get out there i get offered to try all these wines and sometimes i'm like this may be gross this may be great but guess what i'm gonna give it a try and at least now i know i either like that wine or i don't but no big deal it's just wine you know just it's just a meal you can't screw it up. Try try a new dish. Try a new wine. I can't stand when we all get suckered into our, our nine to five, same meal, same wine, same meal, same wine, same job. I think COVID has really pushed us out of our comfort zone. So try that Portuguese white wine you've never tried before. Try that uh, Moroccan dish that you've never tried before. Like try and live outside of the box. Try something new. Um, I, I feel that it's it's the only way to really live life. I mean, otherwise you just get stuck in your, you know, your your same restaurant, your same meal, and you never, you kind of just keep going in circles. Mm-hmm. Actually, that reminds me of an article I read a while ago. I, I'm going to try and find it so I can link it in the show notes. But it was, even if you do one thing different, it fires neurons in your brain a little bit differently. And the chance of you making another different choice later on in that day greatly increases just by making that first different choice. And that um, is such an elegant way. Just try a different wine and you don't know where the rest of the day or night or week will take you. Yeah, I, I'm not a vegetarian by any means, but we're, we, my partner and I made tacos the other night, and I said, "You know, it'd be fun. Why don't we do? Why don't we try vegetarian tacos?" I don't know why. I just suddenly said, "Let's try something new," because we would always do the same style of taco with either shrimp or chicken or beef, and so we did. We used chickpeas and oil, and and it was really interesting. Um, was it my favorite Mexican? experience? No, but I'm now I can say I can definitely make you some vegetarian Mexican cuisine. So it's just fun to now have that in my own little because you know, you know, you have a vegetarian over, you want to provide something other than a salad for dinner. Now I know what mm-hmm. I can make. I can make a mean, pretty decent, I should say. Uh, you know, Mex- vegetarian Mexican cuisine. Um, actually, so we are a big uh, Taco Tuesday. <laughs> we do Taco Tuesday salads in my house. And a couple weeks ago, I had bought a package of Beyond Meat, the ground beef, faux ground beef Beyond Meat. And um, I said, you know what? I'm going to do this for the Taco Tuesday. And my husband loves it so much. It's now our regular Taco Tuesday salad meal is Beyond Meat. Really? Just spiced with a little cilantro and garlic powder and, you know, a bunch of Cholula and some pickled jalapenos. Yeah, it's soaked like on a bed of lettuce with some nacho cheese. So so delicious. We actually had it tonight. <laughs> so Beyond Me is the is the brand at like the local grocery store? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it at Loblaws. Okay. I... And it looks like ground beef. And I, you know, fry it up just like you would ground beef. You don't need to cook it for as long with some oil. And then I season it up right at the end. And then, yeah, I literally just put that on a bed of lettuce with, you know, your usual um, taco. We did it one time with with that, with taco shells. And um, the kids kind of like it on their, <laughs> they like it on their, K, their KD. It's delicious <laughs> on top of KD. <laughs> so Listen, good, especially with the... <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a box of KD and a Mr. Noodle Soup once in a while. Like it's a pandemic. I would be lying if I told you I didn't have Katie at least a few times this pandemic. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I, I love it. Yeah, I'm going to try that Beyond Meat now. Beyond Meat Taco Tuesday. I think I know what I'm going to do next week. It's delicious. Let me know how it goes. Okay. <laughs> um, what would you say is sort of like 
um, maybe like a staple wine in your house? Or would you say that you tried to not necessarily get into like a routine of wine? I really find myself sipping a lot of different wines uh, regularly as a sommelier. You know, like I, I'm just getting some um, orange wines in. Um, I actually mm-hmm. now now sell wine, three different wine agencies. So if anyone's interested, they can reach out, um, at least if they're in the province of Ontario. But I'm actually just about to start sipping my way through a mixed pack of orange wines. So six different orange wines from different countries, organic, biodynamic, kind of funky, a little more psalm oriented, a little more like to the wine geek, wine nerd, like you're average consumer does not want to spend, you know, $30 on this organic biodynamic Portuguese orange wine. Um, but I'm, I really I cannot wait to sit my way through those. But honestly, we pretty much always have like a Chardonnay on hand, chilled in, in the fridge, ready to go just in case a Sauvignon Blanc. And um, I would say that we usually always have like a Chianti around again, just because we usually eat Italian probably at least once a week. So, you know, you get a takeout pizza, you get, you make a pasta. Honestly, in 1995, Chianti for like a Tuesday, Wednesday. You just can't go wrong. Delicious. Can I? Just, how about this? I'll offer a little food pairing advice for those listening because people always ask Please. all the time. Ryan, mm-hmm. what do you recommend? What do you recommend? And I'll just my instructor taught me, and I'm sharing the gospel according to sommeliers. And it's what <laughs> grows together goes together. If you're doing French mm-hmm. food, try French wine. You're doing Italian food, do Italian wine. You're doing, you know, an East Coast Digby scallop. That sounds like a Canadian dish. Let's do a Nova Scotia sparkling wine to pair with it. What grows together goes together. Like a New York strip, I'm going to pair it with a Napa cab. What grows together goes together. I swear to you, it'll alleviate every single concern you have. That sounds wonderful. I love that. That's a great tip. My pleasure. Growing up, did you have much um, Irish or Finnish food? Uh, we, I did grow up having the Irish boiled dinners. Yep, the cabbage <laughs> and the and the corned beef. I definitely had a fair share of those. Um, and and my mom's side, we always had um, Finnish pancakes on a special brunch. Oh gosh, like a, like it's basically like a nice French crepe. But my gosh, a Finnish a Finnish pancake. We call them Finnish pancakes, but they're just like crepes with some you know Canadian maple syrup. Oh heaven, heavenly. Maybe it's because my child. Maybe it's my childhood. I'm not too sure, but. So one of my favorite dishes from being a kid, obviously, uh, with my parents was Katie, <laughs> but now I love, you know, I like when my, when I make it for the kids, you know, I, I love KD and I'll have a glass of wine. And you know, if my husband and I, if we do date night, we'll feed the kids first and then put them to bed and then we'll have dinner after. But if I make them KD, um, you know, usually we've already opened a bottle of wine and we're having charcuterie and I just love <laughs> the decadence, I guess, of having like a beautiful, you know, glass of wine with sneaking little spoonfuls of KD. Well, <laughs> so a lot of people think about, you know, oh, well, if we're having a, a nice glass of wine, we have to have this, you know, oh, French fancy meal. And I'm like, you can literally, just like you just talked about, uh, it, your comfort food, friendly food, family food, um, you know, wholesome classic Tuesday fare and a decent $15, $20 gl- bottle of wine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fabulous. I mean, that's enjoying life. You can't always live. You know, we're not always wearing dresses and suits everywhere we go. And I don't think wine and food should should be like that either. You should totally have your KD, you know, your your simple glass of white wine, and you're just like kicking back on a Wednesday and life is good, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask what dishes from your childhood are now elevated with uh, with some <laughs> wines. <laughs> um, I would I would say my, ste- my steak and potato game, I definitely know how to pick some nice Cabernets. Um, I can finally <laughs> grill a steak. It took me till about 30 till I could really finally like cook a steak. And I'm not even kidding. It took me into my 30s um, because our condo doesn't have a, um, 
um, like a barbecue. So unfortunately, um, I have to kind of pan fry and pan grill my steaks. But now with like butter and rosemary, it, I'm finally getting into getting into doing that properly. And and pasta, my gosh, I, I love experimenting with with pastas. Again, I, I kind of have a bit of an Italian love affair. Even though I literally have zero Italian, I don't speak Italian. I'm not even kidding. Sometimes I wish I was like a, I was born Italian because my love affair with Italian food and wine, I feel like I could be an old Nona one day. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. That's definitely a recurring theme throughout the podcast. And most guests is just in a love for Italian food and, you know, a big, beautiful bowl of pasta and a big, beautiful glass of something red from Italy. And um, I think that that's a, definitely a recurring theme throughout uh, throughout the podcast. I mean, you know, the, the Italians, I mean, what can we say, you know, from, from Rome to now, uh, from the Roman mm-hmm. period to, to now? quite an interesting history. You know, if you're into philosophy, if you're into uh, human history, I mean, there's a lot of great thinking that came out of Italy over the years. And it's it's just fascinating. Architecture, history, you know, politics even today and law. It's just mind-blowing, really. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the way that they made wine and the different, uh, the different regions are just wonderful too. Yeah. Back in the day, um, they actually used to feed um, Caesar and all of the emperors, they would feed their um, soldiers about um, two to three liters of wine a day um, in order to give them the courage they would need to go into battle. But I just want to point out that back in the day, wine was much less alcoholic, probably like along the lines of beer. So maybe like five, six, seven percent, not like the, the 14, 15s you see today. Um, so much, much more watered down, more easy to drink. But, you know, back in the day, I picture, you know, there's this one sommelier has a quote saying, I wish I could go back in time, go to the Roman amphitheater, eat with ferocity, drink without fear, and just like have that raw animalistic humanity that was back then. They just ate and drank um, without consequences of, you know, oh, I wonder how many calories I've been taking. Like there were, that was nothing to do with the thought process back then. And it's just an interesting concept to, to think about. Mm-hmm, totally. Well, and I think when you think of, like you had mentioned earlier, um, like a Florentine steak, it's just so primal, you know, when they serve it and the sizzle and the grill marks, it's just, there's something so primal that in having a beautiful glass of wine, you you can't help but feel like a Roman. <laughs> perhaps perhaps we use the term civilized primal. Um, you civilized know, primal, yes. Or, or primal, primal instincts with a touch of civility. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So I want to talk more about um, you and you are selling wines now. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I work with three different wine agencies in Ontario, uh, Le Sommelier, Lusoke, and ABV Group. And I currently rep wine for all three of them. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now, along with a few other things. Can you get me some green Portuguese wine? Because I've been hearing about it and I need to try it. Look, blue wine was a big thing a few years ago. And, you know, green (laughs) wine is the talk. Look, wine, like fashion, like everything in life, you know, remember, of course, the charcoal, charcoal pizza, Mm -hmm. charcoal ice cream. Uh, Charcoal everything. Yeah, yeah. charcoal everything. And then, of course, your teeth look like charcoal afterwards. Um, it's, I think it's a bit of a fad. I mean, orange wine's been around a long time. And just for those who are listening who may not know, orange wine is simply white wine that's fermented on the skins like a red wine. So, of course, when you crush a white wine, when you crush a white grape, white juice comes out. And then normally you just simply ferment in stainless steel and then maybe oak age it in the bottle and it's white. 
With red wine, you crush a red grape and white juice actually comes out. So how you make red wine is you macerate the skins on the juice, like making a cup of tea. You leave the skins in the juice, you kind of stir it around, and that's what gives red wine the color. So orange wine is simply you take that white grape, you crush it, but then you ferment those white, pinkish hue grape skins on the white juice, and it gives it just a tinge of color, which is what we call orange wine. But what we really should be calling it is skin contact white wine, because that's all it is. It's just slightly off-color white wine. Okay. And then I guess it's a similar sort of thing with green wines. It would just be like green grapes. Yeah. it's It could also, like, I've heard different terms for green wine in regards to it's very environmentally friendly and organic and biodynamic as a slang term. Um, I'll be honest, my experience with green wine is uh, not not very great. So truth be told, I'm, I think I'd be embarrassed to talk about it too much further. Well, then we'll, we'll switch topics a little bit. Um, so I wanted to ask you just some easy, they're meant to be easy sort of um, questions we all want to ask, which I'm sure you're asked a lot. Uh, the first one being, where do you hold a stemmed glass? Oh. What is the proper way? Excellent question. Whatever you do, do not hold the bowl with your fingers. That's my... I personally love to hold um, the uh, stem of right below the bowl so that my fingers are kind of right at the base of the bowl, but holding the stem. That's that's my personal favorite place. To hold. Okay. And how do you feel about stemless wine glasses? Don't care for them. Don't like them. Don't recommend them. Won't support them. Is that clear enough? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could go well, especially on. Especially with the white wine. It just makes the wine hot. I don't understand it. <laughs> it, it the whole purpose of the stem is um, not to look fancy, of course, as you just mentioned. It's so people, your warm hands don't warm up those wines. It's to keep the wine at the most appropriate temperature. And more importantly, too, if you're kind of at a dinner party, you're eating, you're drinking, you're having charcuterie, your hands get messy. And the last thing you want to do is do a cheers and there's like pasta sauce and charcuterie on the side of your glass type thing. Like no one wants to see all of that that mess. So if you put that on the stem, when you're cheersing or when you're looking at the wine, you can see the wine, you can analyze the wine and you're not looking through your, you know, your sauce smeared glass. It's like a perfectly clean glass. Um, so I, I cannot stand um, stemless. I am pro-stem, 100% pro-stem. Amazing. Fantastic. I agree. <laughs> I'm very clumsy, though. So we have, um, <laughs> oh, I hate to say this to you, but we have a set of plastic but stemmed glasses. I just, I am clumsy. And for every day running after the kids while enjoying a glass of wine, the plastic, uh, the plastic works well. <laughs> okay, I will, I will, I will counter that and provide a suggestion. And now this is really terrible. But if I'm going to um, the park with a friend, because now it's kind of somewhat socially acceptable to have a beverage in the park, I love, you know, like a, um, mugs that kind of hold temperature. There's different brands. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like stainless. Oh yeah, like steel. the double in the double, not the double insulated one, the stainless steel like drink containers yeah like they've got, they've got a lid and they can hold because if you pour like a bit of chilled white wine in these handheld mugs you know mm -hmm. 20 minutes later it's still chilled it's it's mind-blowing technology I, I fly planes for a living and i have no idea how they do it i think it's amazing um but but <laughs> i i would say i would rather sip out of like that than out of some mm -hmm. plasticky thing but at the end of the day like art like food if you're happy great. That's all that matters, right? If you're happy with your art choice, your fashion choice, your food choice, your wine choice, how you sip it, it really doesn't matter because how I sip my wine and how I style myself and, and the art that I like and the food I like, it doesn't matter because it's, it's my art, it's my food, it's my wine. You do you, I'll do me, the world would be a happy place, you know? 
I totally agree, but I will have to get some of those for, you know, my white and rosé wines and join them this summer because in the summer, the plastic doesn't really do well with anything other than a red. <laughs> right, because <laughs> it's like with, within like five minutes, it's like boiling boiling hot wine. It's terrible. It's awful. Yeah, but with red, it doesn't, it's uh, it's not too bad. <laughs> but I will have to get some of those stainless steel, uh, stainless steel cups. So my last sort of silly question, and then we'll go to some sillier questions. Um, since it's barbecue season, and I think in North America, we can all agree there is nothing like a beautiful cheeseburger from the barbecue. What would you say is your top wine pairing with that? Pinot Noir and a classic cheeseburger is like, sign me up, baby. I love it. Sounds great. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So we're going to do silly rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap (laughs) it up. (laughs) I'm I'm already embarrassed for what I'm probably going to answer, but let's go ahead. Okay. Uh, Water or land? Oh, water. Apple or pineapple? Pineapple. Favorite drink? (laughs) Red wine from Italy. (laughs) Favorite cartoon? Uh, Simpsons. Um, it might be a little bit hard, but favorite movie? Favorite movie. I'm going to go and say Contact, Jodie Foster, 1990s. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. And if you were to describe, uh, if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? Oh, Billy, that is such a tough question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say an Italian pasta because uh, my personality, um, like pasta, can vary from, you know, um, seafood to rich and creamy white sauce into your reds and then your red meat heavies. And I'd like to think I have a bit of diversity to myself. So how about Italian pasta because there's such diversity to it? Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you, Billy. This has been... Um, now, now, I just wish we were, we were about to cheers now in person. I'm, I'm sad that we're not drinking together. But yes, chin chin. Uh, we will definitely have to rain check that for as soon as possible. Okay, I look forward to it. <laughs> And is there anything else you wanted to say tonight or Um, tell us? I would just say, don't be afraid to live a little. Try that restaurant. Try that dish. Try that wine you've always been afraid to try. Um, You might be surprised at just how much you like it and how much you've been missing out. Um, Life is short. Uh, Live a little. I love it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, Billy. 